So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. As always, you can find us on social media. So on Facebook, if you type in Folk on Falcons, you'll see our profile. And for Twitter, it's at Folk on Falcons. So you may have been accustomed to... It's been rather glum over the past few months, but this week, we're going to talk about a win. Well, hey, against top of the league. Fancy that. This time last week when we were doing the podcast, we said... It's not beyond the realms of possibility, and with a bit of Argentine magic, we might be lucky. And lo and behold, it wasn't just the Argentine magic, the whole squad played fantastically. And we came away with our first win in how long? Well, certainly our first league win since Worcester in April last season. Um, and our first, unbelievably, our first home league win in about a year, which of course was Bristol last October. So it's been very much a long time coming, hasn't it? But what a relief to finally get it. I have to say, when we saw the team sheets come out on Friday, you suddenly thought, hang on here, Bristol don't look like they've got a terribly strong team. And, oh, wait a second, Falcons look like we've got about as good as it gets. And kicked off, we dominated for a bit, then Bristol, I think, got three points ahead and almost got a try. And you think, uh-oh, is this our chance going? But no, we turned it around, three unanswered tries. And then, obviously, we a couple of infringements. I don't quite know how they can't understand the offside law, but let's not touch on that right now. But then, um, yeah, Bristol get right back into it. But a bit of magic at the end and happy days. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> to be honest, I don't know what it is about Bristol and coming up here. I don't know if it's the case we just don't like the coach journey or whatever, and they'll be put off by the weather, who knows. But, um, I mean, they, they were pretty poor. But let, let's kind of put that to a side because it's not about them. It's about us this week for once and how really how brilliant we were. And as, as you say, I think apart from the first few minutes where they got that penalty, went ahead and if, you know, they, I suppose really they, they could have had a go, you know, go for the corner and try and do the pushover, but conservatively went for the three points. But after that, we just completely dominated them. It, we were just hungrier. I thought um, they just never got a foothold in it whatsoever. I thought... We were really clinical as well when we got to their 22, especially in the first half when we made every visit count almost. Um, I don't think they really got anywhere near our line, particularly in the first half. They were, they made a couple of breaks, but uh, they sort of butchered the chance. I think we were just hungrier in defence and kind of overcame that. And I think, you know, it's always the Falcons, isn't it? So even we had a couple of at half time, you still think, oh, is it going to be enough? Will Bristol be as bad again? And, you know, we, we made it competitive, didn't we, by not understanding the offside rule. But um, I think, um, I wouldn't quite say it was a miracle they only got 12 points, but I think it was, in some ways, I think we kind of got fairly lightly. It was only the 12 points, but because obviously that meant we were still ahead and it was, yeah, and I know it's a cliche, but in those sort of situations, it is whoever gets the next points is crucial. And I think that's what kind of won us the game was that period after we got back to 15 men where we really kind of steadied the ship. We we wrestled control of the game again. Um, and we got the two important penalties, which of course made it five points ahead, then crucially eight points ahead with time very much running out. And you thought, you know, we're going to do this. We're actually going to do it. And really, I thought once we got control of the game again, after that sticky period of 13 men, barring some terrible mistakes, which wasn't impossible. It was only going to be one winner and certainly a deserved winner. Yeah, when we got that kick towards the end and um, Schumann's kicking off the tee wasn't fantastic on the night, but he got, got us eight points ahead. And then you think, actually, 
then you score twice here, uncharted territory. What? How, how can we possibly mess this up? And we didn't. And then there's that funny little box kick weird thing by, I think it was Sam Stewart towards the end when it hit the crossbar when we're going for the bonus point. You think, oh, well, well, I guess that was close. We'll have to take the four points. But Bristol, to, to their credit, they didn't just kick it out. They played themselves for their bonus point, the losing bonus point. And um, yeah, they went and spooned it again on about the halfway line. And um, Lukok was on the pitch by that point. He did a fantastic cutout pass to Carreras. And um, you saw Carreras up against this big, tired, I think it was a blind side flanker. He'd been obviously playing the full 80 minutes. And you think, well, he's going to skin him no problem. Sure enough, he did. And then he's up against the, the fullback, I think it was. And it was one of these inside, outside, pull your shorts down and what, what's going on here? Oh, he's dived in the corner, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those, I mean, every last minute winner is also is pretty good, but uh, I think that one will very much live in the memory for a long time. I think not just because of the individual brilliance from Carreras, but in terms of the whole game itself, it was, you know, uh, it, of course I didn't record it, um, but then I've recorded it since I've got back and it'll stay on my BC box forever. Yeah, I mean, what can we say? It was absolutely brilliant. I think even... You know, when we got eight points ahead, you know, put neutral sort of Falkensisms aside, you know, Bristol only really got the tries because we were down 13 men, you know, us at 15 men playing well. They just, I don't think they really, really looked like they were going to get a try barring, you know, barring some, you know, catastrophe um, at that point. But we saw it out and, and deservedly saw it out. And to everyone's credit, I mean, to a man, we were absolutely brilliant and it was it was just a wonderful evening. And it, it, the thing is, it needs to be, this can't be the exception, can it? We can't have another 12 months without another home win. So, you know, we, we're starting to get a foundation here. We know we, the bar's been set. We, we know that we can do it. So, you know, let's do it. Let, let's get some more home wins and let's start, you know, at least looking up the table for a change. I don't think there's a single person in Kingston Park and probably not many sitting back on the sofas who weren't out their seat jumping around as... Carreras dived in the corner and it was great just to see what it meant not just the fans but also when you look at the footage back of the coaching box everyone on the sidelines of the pitch the fans in the south stand piling onto the little pile of players that assembled in the corner and Dave Waldo I think shedding tears and it was just that release of oh we've done it we knew we could do it let's do it again sort of feeling and just sheer ecstasy. Yeah, well, it's the ecstasy of the win, and I think it's, it must be a, a sense of relief for everyone. That you know, we've waited so long for it, and I, I, I can't even really say in many ways, oh, we've been unlucky or we've come close, because quite frankly, we haven't. But I think it was, I think everyone was just so absolutely overwhelmed with delight about not just the wonderful win, but but the performance as well. Because, like I say, it shows that, that we can do it, and against the top of the league team as well. So we can do it against the top of the league team. Presumably we can do that against everyone. Yeah, we may not win every week, but we can get have a lot of points and make you know the game certainly competitive at least or entertaining. And you know, as I say, we can't make this exception. We have to kind of push on from here, and hopefully we'll get a few more wins like that at home this season. Yeah, if we look at the um, more technical side of it, as opposed to just the the sheer relation of winning. Um, when you saw a team sheet named and they had Collett and Stewart, and then um, you had the outside backs, you think they're going to go for quite a quite a speedy game here. And um, Collar, I thought, was fantastic all night until he obviously he got a sub towards the end. But he was brilliant. Uh, I think Sam Stewart, and there's a couple of dodgy box kicks, but he obviously hasn't had a huge amount of game time. But as the game went on, he got more and more into it. I think he played incredibly well. Schumann kicking off the ground aside, I think he, he was a very, you could tell he's played rugby at a good level. And he's fortunately, it looks like he's coming back from injury and he has he's still got it. Um, centres, as we thought, Orlando back to always 
breaking the first tackle and half breaking the second one. And then Moroni, it's nice just to see a 13 that can hold a man and give a pass. And um, not say so those haven't, but there was one time in the second half when it was just a simple two on two and he drew the centre and then he managed to draw the winger in and he almost put Carreras away. And he just stood up two defenders and it's just, he made it look effortless the way that he just drew his man, swayed and slowed down, sped up again and drew the winger in. And you could just tell there was actual quality there and international quality. And I think we're also helped in the whole game by um, Luke Pierce, the referee. Um, early on, he made a couple of calls about slowing the game down and gave a couple of free kicks. And you think, is he wanting to be the centre of attention here? But actually, I think it played into our hands because... Bristol never got time to catch their breath and we were playing quite a, a quick, expansive game and I think it suited us a lot more than it suited them. Yeah, I mean, pick out two of the players eventually. I mean, Schumann was, apart from a few skewed kicks, was very good. Um, I mean, brilliant pass for the first try, of course. Um, and I guess the man of the moment, well, that was Gareth's man at the moment, but the new man of the moment for that, of course, Moroni. I thought it was almost pretty much complete performance on the 13. Exactly what you want from that position, you know, adds to attack in his stealing defence, which is what we, we've lacked, you know, we've lacked both of those for, for a very long time. Um, so, and I think the encouraging thing is, presumably, he's only going to get better the more training sessions he has, the more game times he has with his new team. And, Obviously, what helps is that he's got to his left and to his right, he's got two of his compatriots who he, you know, he's played with on several occasions. Um, so that that obviously look, looks very promising as long as we can kind of keep them all fit and keep everything consistent there. But I thought, um, I thought our set piece was actually pretty good as well. Um, the scrum especially, I thought we were pretty dominant there. Didn't help, well, it helped rather with Sinclair not turning up and being sort of still probably in his mind halfway sort of near Sheffield or whatever. But yeah, we completely dominated the forwards as well. And I think it's such a weapon for us if we do get that right, because if you can get a good set piece, then you've got people like McGuigan, haven't you, at the end of it to take advantage. And that, that works pretty well as well. Um, so it was all those components all working well together and all just came well on the night and, Bristol, I didn't, as you say, just didn't really have an answer for it. Yeah, we've talked about the the pretty stuff and the outside backs, but as you say, the the tight five, the whole pack, they, they were better than Bristol. Kyle Sinclair seemed to like scrummaging because he kept throwing the ball on the ground, which we're quite happy to have. And I think he he won one penalty and decided to give it all, and then the next two Brocklebank actually destroyed him in the scrum. And it was just a complete performance from everybody in the team, which was so nice to see. That I think the one the one downside has to be Radwan's haircut. Um, I don't know if he's gone to the same barber as Tom Penny had a couple of years ago, but I don't don't quite know what he's going for with the with the sides shaved off and stuff and it floppy on top. Maybe ran out of money halfway through his haircut. I don't know. Right? Do you think should be more aerodynamic? I guess. Um, maybe that's why he didn't get the ball much. Actually, maybe they uh, uh, thought Carreras looked a bit sharper in, in every sense and just wanted to give him the ball. <laughs> uh, I suppose for someone like me, I can't really comment on haircuts, so I'll, uh, I'll keep quiet. <laughs> yeah, envious of the, the fact he's got more than one hair on his head. But yeah, as we've mentioned earlier on the season and in the past, um, part of the, the thing about having Radwan on one way and Carreras on the other is that Radwan tends to get marked out in the game because people know know what he can do. And I think that in the past has freed up maybe Stevenson or Carreras or whoever else. But I hope that Carreras doesn't become a marked man as well. But then you can't really have two marked winners because they get gaps all over the place. So it's um, great to have basically everyone in the back line being able to break through and make defences worry. Um, one other thing I'd add is um, on the defensive side of things, um, although Bristol didn't really throw much at us, um, in the outside channels, we seem to be able to defend this week. I'm not sure if 
Mark Wilson's given them a rollicking after the previous week against Worcester, or it's the international calibre coming back in. But they weren't going around the outside of us or through the 13 channel as we've been vulnerable to in the past. And it might just be that Maroney is that much better. It might be that there's been a slight change in tactics. Couldn't quite work it out. I mean, yeah, it could be a combination of those two. I mean, you've got on paper better personnel and maybe more time to address things. And I mean, maybe Worcester in some senses was a bit of a wake-up call, both in terms of playing in tactical sense and they really have worked on things and you know, I mean, we can speculate sort of what goes on training behind the scenes, but you got to think that both of those have kind of factored into that. But like I say, you know, let, let's kind of make this the norm. Let's get back to that defensive resilience. So, to be fair, we have had fairly consistently in the past couple of years. It's only been sort of start this season, really, where we've been very, very leaky. Um, so maybe, you know, along with the results and performance in general, certainly in a defensive sense, we are getting back on track. So uh, we'll we certainly be put to the test again uh, the following week, but, but let, let's hope that they are back on track with that. Certainly. Um, next week, um, well, I guess we beat top of the league this week, but it's early doors in the season. But Saracens look like a different kettle of fish. They're, they're looking extremely good. And I think if we play, play a similar squad next week and play with the same level of gusto and also maybe have the weather on our side a bit, and there's no reason we can't push them quite close because Saracens' defence, although they're scoring a heck of a lot down one end, they're conceding quite a few as well. They're not they're not nilling people or keeping them to just one or two tries. They tend to be getting three or four tries a game scored against them. So if we knuckle down defensively, there will be opportunities where we can hopefully capitalise. Yeah, I mean, I think it's as good a time as any to play them. I mean, obviously, we're on a high and we're back at home again. You know, let's face it, we, we don't have anything to lose, do we? But... We can, we can we can really just sort of have a go. I think the pressure's off us. Not sense because obviously we're massive underdogs, but also the fact we've got that first win, and you know everyone's going to be on a high. So I think this, quite frankly, is, is as good a time to play Saracens as, as any time because I think if if we do replicate like we did the other night and we are playing with confidence and, and have a real go, then I think we can get something from it. I'm certainly not going to stick my head out and say we're going to win, but I'm no reason why we can't get a losing bonus point or a try bonus point even, perhaps, as you say, because as good as Saracens are in terms of racking up the points, they, they do concede as well. So there's, there's points to be got from, from next weekend. So let's hope if they do replicate the performance and kind of stick to those levels, I'm confident we can kind of make a really good game of it and get something from it. So we didn't touch on it last week um, so much because it was the, the skinny streamlined episode that we talked about. And also now the dust settled a bit. Maybe worth mentioning or going back to the Wasps and Worcester debacle, because as it stands, Wasps are still playing, and although they've got administrators in, they still seem to be, at the minute, vaguely viable, whereas Worcester's games all have P's next to them. It says postponed, not cancelled. So I don't quite know what the plan is, whether they're going to try and put them in at the end of the season or who knows what. My hunch is that our Worcester game will just get annulled from the record, but um, it seems that Wasps may well continue to function for a little while longer. Yeah, so I think with Worcester, it seems to be the case that there's negotiations, aren't there, with various consortiums and whatnot, and and I think they're, they're, they're given time to have those negotiations and see what happens, because if being very optimistic for them, if they are able to get someone, someone new in and they're able to clear various debts and perhaps there's a chance they can continue. But from all the sort of comments from local journalists, even Steve Diamond, it looks very, very unlikely that's going to happen. And you, you'd probably assume that they'll just be, that'd be it for them, certainly at least for this season. And those games will just get, well, obviously just cancelled and then 
scrubbed off if the game's already been played. Yeah, I mean, Wasps, not quite sure to the extent of what's happening with them really at the moment, because I think their situation is was slightly different. I mean, they've got the administrators a lot earlier and they are, appear to be more viable because of that and maybe they have more funds available in order to keep going. But perhaps it's only a matter of time with them. But it, it, it doesn't help anyone because they're so... In terms of the fixtures and what's going to be happening, nobody has, nobody knows what's going on. Um, and I think all the other teams can do really is just sort of get on with it. I think, isn't it really until we we get clearer a clearer idea on both those teams? Yeah, and one thing to add is that every week in the Worcester department, something else seems to come out of the woodwork. This this week, it's been revealed the players or the the, the it's not just a normal business where you're, you're paid by your boss and nice and simple. Of course, they've got to have a different company which pays the players, the one that's actually in administration. So technically, all the contracts aren't voided. So therefore, the players aren't free agents to go and find a new club until they are paid um, their their payroll. And I'm not sure what the situation is with uh, September's payroll, but certainly mid-last week, there was a situation where they weren't actually free agents able to go and find new employment, which seems a bit bizarre. And then the directors seem to have not been content with annoying everybody by making the club cease to function. They've... Um, Gone had a little go at all the fans, which I think absolutely unbelievable, to be honest. Yeah, well, it's the players' fault for not winning enough and the fans' fault for not turning up enough, apparently. Um, nothing to do with the people who actually run the club. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, talk about sort of, you know, villains, really, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, when you make that sort of statement, either I refuse to believe that that's sort of stupid. I think either it's a case genuinely really nasty and don't care and you do and they are genuinely sincere in blaming players and fans or it's not a case of being nasty it's just sort of they just don't care anymore they just sort of say oh well it's not our fault how can it be our fault look at what we've done it it's everyone else's fault not our fault but yeah it's absolutely remarkable um i'm not sure <laughs> i'm not sure even with them anyone kind of expected that sort of statement or maybe with the fans did but absolutely remarkable i couldn't, couldn't quite believe it when you actually read it um, that they would actually sort of go out publicly and, and blame everyone else but themselves. Yeah, um, and I know when we talked to Matt Thompson about things a couple of weeks ago, listen to that one if you get a chance, it's quite quite a good episode. Um, we were talking about the, the potential gap in the fixtures towards the end of the season. And since then, or during that, he was mentioning they're trying to get various things like a CrossFit World Cup and whatnot, just to, or um, championships, not sure it was the World Cup, just to get the stadium used. But since then, there's been a development that the, England women will be playing Scotland there in the Six Nations. Um, I can't remember the exact date. I think it's the end of March or start of April. It's on the Falcons website where you can buy the tickets. And it's actually only a fiver for children. So if you've got any sons or daughters that want to go along, then I think you can get an adult ticket for £15 and take all the children along. It'd be a really good chance just to see some top-level rugby um, in the in Kingston Park in a few weeks while it's not going to be a bit, um, used by the team. Yeah, well, I mean, we were wondering if it was going to be potentially included in season tickets because, as you say, there is that gap. And, and Matt Thompson did say they were trying to fill it up. And you think that that could potentially be one of those. But I guess we'll have to see later on in the year well, what happens in terms of that, that gap. But, you know, I think that surely there's potential for that to be included if you want to up the, up the attendance, really. I think it's a no-brainer in that regard, if it's possible. Yes, very much so. Well, on the topic of England... Um... The England training squad's been released, and what a surprise, there's no Falcons players. We seem to be back to Groundhog Day of trying to make inroads into the England selections. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, of course, disappointing that we don't have any Falcons players. And at the same time, I guess if it's done on form, I mean, could you really have any Falcons players in there? Um, 
I mean, there's the other argument, of course, about McGuigan. I mean, how he's always overlooked. But I think anyone else, I mean, no, not saying, of course, I'm Eddie's biggest fan, because as we've said on this podcast many times, we're, we're certainly not. But I think if you look at him from his point of view, you're looking at the form of players start of this season, if that's how he does it, but who knows how he does it. I'm not really sure you could pick many focus players, really. I know Blamise would get more time and hasn't kind of let anyone down, but I don't think he's going to be picking him as a as a flanker. And Radwan's barely had a sniff, really, this season. Um, McGuigan's always overlooked and Chick seems to be kind of falling out the picture at the moment and Davidson never gets a look in so that being said I, to be honest I wasn't really surprised disappointed of course I suppose we all want as many you know England Falcons as we can but um, I, I wasn't surprised really Yeah so I don't know if you noticed it was in the stand on Friday night you should have gone up and had a word with them and told them who the, the hot shots were get Robinson in the squad get War Trevin and all the rest of them, because oh, I guess we know the quality, and in a way, I'm quite happy that we get to still have them play with the Falcons in the autumn. But it is disappointing for the players. And also, something very interesting was said on um, an interview that George McGuigan did on BT Sport, because there was a mention of the emerald green strip, and McGuigan said he didn't particularly like the green strip. He said it was horrible, which I have to disagree with. I quite like it actually. But um, another thing that he said was that he wouldn't be against playing in green, which was obviously an allusion to getting Irish colours. Um, but we all know what that means. That means that you'd have to go and play for an Irish province the way that the, the Irish selection works. So um, I think his contract's due up at the end of the season. I'm really hoping I'm not tempting fate here. If he wants to get internationals uh, and also the World Cup coming up, is it the, the time that he's actually got to make that call? He's, he's probably getting on his career and he's not going to be around for the next World Cup. And it would be a huge shame, but is it just something where needs must? Yeah, it was a, it was a really good interview. It was a really kind of, interesting three minutes or so wasn't it um, but on that point I, I wonder if he was kind of playing the interview as a sort of come and get me play uh, both for England and Ireland because for England he could be making the point of saying look I'm still available to be picked but you know ooh, I could play for Ireland you better pick before it's too late or maybe he's thinking oh well you know if if Irish selectors are watching me um, regularly in the Premiership, they know what I'm all about. They know how to score tries for fun. Come and get me, essentially. You know, who knows what he's playing at? Or he could just be just being very honest, saying, "Well, you know, if the opportunity came up, then yeah, it's something I'd definitely consider." Um, it was just fair enough, really. Um, I thought the other really good thing about anything was talking about his relationship with Blamire, about you know how he did feel a bit gutted by that the buyer keeps getting called up and and he doesn't he, he said you know the word he said was what well, what else do I need to do to, to get the call up but he also made the point that I suppose what we've said in that well the is kind of the age group under isn't he um so they can you know well if Blamire's in the score he's much younger they can develop him and whatever and maybe McGuigan's just a bit too old but uh I thought that was quite eye-opening as well and it's basically mirroring what we kind of suspected we've said previously in terms of that relationship between the two and you know if, if any listeners haven't seen that interview I mean I'm sure it'll be on BT Sport Rugby social medias if you do get a chance go and have a look at it because it is, it is a really good interview it's only short about two or three minutes but it's definitely worth a watch yeah and also if, if you're thinking oh well I don't have a BT Sport subscription you don't actually need it to see some of the interviews and the, the backroom chats that go on before and after the games, um, just the the footage itself of the match. So I think you need the subscription for. So uh, yeah, if you if you get a few minutes to check it out, um, because we're on BT Sport this week, there's actually a reasonable amount of bump that gets shoved in there and some bits of interest. So as we come to the end of the episode, um, we'll quickly do the roundup of the national and local results. It seems that heck of a lot of points have been scored at the minute, which is obviously great for the spectators. So obviously, on Friday night we beat Bristol thirty points to fifteen. 
On Saturday, London Irish beat Bath 47 points to 38. Sale beat Exeter 28 points to 20. Saracens actually thrashed Leicester 51 points to 18. And then today, another cracking game. Um, Harlequins only just clung on at the end to beat Northampton by 35 points to 29. The table looks a bit funny now, but that's because various teams are supposed to have played others and there's not a number of teams. So um, Gloucester have only ended up playing two games. But we're, I'd say we're far enough in now. You've started to get a league table. So in first place, we've got Saracens with 15 full points for them. Um, Sale have also won three, but um, not as many bonus points on 14. Extra have won the same as them, but they've also lost one. They've won 14, along with Bristol. Um, Harlequins have 13 and 5th, whilst in 6th, London Irish have 12, and Leicester have 11 and 7th. So Leicester a bit off the speed compared to last season. Behind them, we've got Northampton on 8, Gloucester on 7, Wasps on 6. We've also got 6. Worcester aren't actually bottom of the table, thanks to their win over us. That that gets left for Bath. So Worcester have 5 points, and Bath at the bottom have picked up 3 bonus points, but that's all they've got. If we go around the, the regional stuff, in the National Leagues this weekend, Darlington Mountain Park got beaten by Rams, 40 points to 15. And then in National League North, sorry, National League 2 North, uh, Tandale got beaten by Otley, 22 points to 25. And Bladen got uh, quite heavily beaten by Fylde, 42 points to 7. As we then go into the more local leagues, in Regional 1 Northeast, or in 1 Northeast, Annick beat, beat Cleckheaton, 56 points to 31. And Billingham beat Doncaster Phoenix, 31 points to three. In two, or North Division two, uh, Durham City picked up a win. Oh, for <laughs> sake, it's all these stupid league structures now. It used to be simple. I used to know what was going on. Right, so we've then got Regional two, North, where Durham beat Carlisle. Keswick beat Espatria. Penrith beat Northern. Percy Park got heavily beaten by Morpeth. South Shields versus Middlesbrough was a high score where one where Middlesbrough came out on top and then finally Stockton beat Concert. Durham and Northumberland Division 1 where Hartlepool Rose beat Acklam Hartlepool beat Darlington Pontelan beat Novos Sunderland beat Medicals West Hartlepool came out on top against Horden and Peter Lee and Whitley Bay Rockcliffe beat Gisborne in a low scoring affair. Durham Northumberland Division 2, Ashington beat North Shields Barnard Castle beat Gateshead, Sedgefield Went to see him and won. Walls End got thrashed by Wright and 60 points to nil, which was also the score for Bishop Auckland at Winlayton and Redcar beat Whitby. In Division 3, Blythe got beaten by Gosforth. Sorry, Seaton Crew beat Prince-Duxfield. Seg Hill beat Derovians and Horton beat West End. And then finally, Yarm lost to Darlington Mountain Park Elizabethans. So if we have to go for score of the week, there were three scores this week, which were 60 points to nil. So I think that um, it has to be shared between Houghton, Wrighton and Bishop Auckland. So well done to those three clubs. So there we have it. We're all in a good mood. We'll be skipping our step the week ahead. And we look forward to after a nice long rest between games. Obviously, there'll be an eight-game rest period. Another nice cheerful podcast after our victory against Saracens next Sunday. So thanks for listening, everybody. Bye, everyone.